Thanks for listening to the CISO Diaries podcast. We're Leah. And I'm Sia. And we started this podcast with the intent to give CISOs and cybersecurity professionals a place to be their authentic selves. These are the unedited stories told of how they got into cybersecurity, their real struggles that they persevered through, their personal anecdotes that make them tick, and the leadership advice based on their own experiences. And we want to especially spotlight those that are contributing and giving back to the community apart from their day jobs. This podcast is for everyone, especially if you're a leader or someone aspiring to leadership. Who knows? You may find yourself working with these awesome leaders. So join us on your favorite podcast player. And please don't forget to subscribe, follow, like, and comment and engage in the conversation. And now let's get to know our CISO on our latest diary entry. Oh, yeah. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to another entry of the CISO Diaries podcast. I'm Leah McLean here with my co-host, Sia Yasser-Tornap. Quick shout out to our sponsor, Cyber Future Foundation. They're a nonprofit think tank with the mission to build a safer and more trusted cyber world. And we are here today with our special, special guest, Paul Cummings. He's the president founder of Whole Cyber Human Initiative. He is a visionary in the industry a retired 20-year U.S. Navy Information Systems Technology Chief, and has been awarded several outstanding service medals uh, throughout his veteran career. And today he's helping many, many people and veterans break into cyber and much, much more. Man, how the heck are you? Because we've been trying to schedule this for some time now. So finally, you're here with us. (laughs) I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's it's definitely been a a trying process to finally, you know, get behind the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which you're behind a lot every a lot of days these days, right? Doing the work you do. But you know, just back us up a second, or for those of you out there listening who don't know who you are, military career, how did you get yourself into cyber? Or maybe even go further than that, your you know, what what you did within the military and then coming out of that and why you're here today and doing what you do. Uh, that's that's a fun story. Um, so my uncle was actually my recruiter not dating myself, obviously, uh, but I was graduating high school early. I was a semester ahead. So, you know, I felt a lot of boredom going out and doing little nine to five jobs. Didn't really like what I was doing. Uh, and he approached me and asked me what, I, what my thoughts were and then took an ASVAB test, uh, scored high enough to become an information system technician. Didn't know what it was at that time. But after the test was done, you know, he asked, Oh, what do you know about computers? And I was like, I know how to put the AOL disk in and get to Yahoo. And that's what spearheaded me to, to really go for it. It was a daunting progress. You know, I, I definitely lived in the, the archaic times where you had to pay your dues. Uh, so I started off as a computer repairman, moving to the help desk uh, and finished my career as ISSM. I think the first First time I was actually introduced into cyber was my first command in Iceland. It was around the time they were starting to set up the the gold team, green team, blue team, red team concept. Um, And our information uh, assurance manager, uh, Lieutenant Commander, can't remember her name, but my curiosity for everything IT in in general basically, you know, lined me up to where she asked, can you help me with this publication and help? draft a, a 2,500-page certification doctrine uh, for NAS Catholic Iceland that we actually closed a year and a half later. Um, 
but moving forward, I, I didn't touch anything information assurance or anything close to cyber until, well, 2007. 2007 was my introduction to biometrics. I got called to go to Iraq, uh, went over there for a year and a half, and that was what I was doing. Uh, they sent me to school to be a biometrics data collection advisor, trained and mentored Iraqis to use the systems. Uh, at that time, we were having them you know, turn AK-47s in, using biometrics in the process to swap them out with their M16s uh, or M4s. So, you know, got to really get deep into it, uh, understand, you know, the various ways that you can trick the biometrics, you know, whether it's through retinal or you know, fingerprint skimming. And I really, really enjoyed it. I think we netted probably probably close to 367 bad guys out of it. Uh, so it was definitely doing its job. And as soon as I got back from there, 2009, they're like, hey, you've been, you know, kicking doors in and, and, and not playing IT anymore. What can we do to help you? So they had me choose two classes and uh, went out and got my CEH back when licensed pen test was still a part of it and thoroughly enjoyed the class and, and really started getting as deep as I could practicing around the base with Wi-Fi stumblers and stuff like that in the barracks and then really hit gold when uh, I ended up at a destroyer squadron working for a Commodore where I was uh, actually the information assurance manager for close to 127 IAMs and technicians, managed a across 15 ships at a time, no less than a 95% patch uh, management, several awards that the ships got. And that's kind of what led me into real cyber. Uh, I got selected to go stand up a cyber protection team based on my background. And 2014 built the 553 CPT out of San Diego, where you know I, I had 36, 38 analysts help develop the pipeline uh, for training. We became fully operational a year ahead of time. The efforts actually led to Admiral Tai, uh, Jan Tai. Uh, to select us for a large-scale incident response. So we went out you know, on-site, hands-on, doing everything from hardening. Um, I, I think the, the only thing we didn't get to do is red teaming. But when you look at the uh, the rest of the color circle, minus purple, obviously. But, uh, yeah, we were hardening, um, you know, going through the workforce development plan, fine-tuning their their systems and stuff like that while we're monitoring uh, a nation state that was on the network. From there, I went on humanitarian orders uh, to take care of family. And I just continued to do it, um, you know, with my laptops at home, you know, practicing with some home labs, some BMs. You know, finally, when I was starting to retire, I knew I didn't want to do traditional IT anymore. I'm burnt out on RMF, GRC, IAM. I just want to be hands-on. Uh, and I was graciously enough to be offered uh, by Stevenson Technologies Corporation uh, a job offer as soon as I started my terminal leave uh, where I'm doing cybersecurity research engineering and have the ability to literally do the entire color wheel uh, to include Purple Team now. So using my knowledge, uh, my background, and my my frugalness for getting free education, that's that's my biggest goal is helping you know people succeed in catapult their careers, whether they're you know transitioning service member, 
uh, a senior career pivoter or even somebody that's coming straight out of high school. You know, we're, we're beyond the days where a certification is solely for bragging rights. Now it has to be a rite of passage in order for you to just get a help desk job. Uh, and that's essentially why, uh, or one of the many reasons why I developed the whole cyber human initiative. One is to reset the landscape, go back to ground zero and really redefine where these certifications line up with jobs. You know, with DOD and military, we're taught 8570, 8140, yep. and every IT or every sysadmin has to have security plus. Our only time in the Navy or any other branch that we, we interact with civilians, they're either DOD contractors mm-hmm. or GS employees. So again, you're talking to somebody about getting into that job, whether you're an infantryman, uh, a machinist mate, what have you, that's what they're being told. Oh, you get a security plus and you can land a job. I mean, that's quite the journey, though. And I, I think things that you just mentioned, I didn't even know about. I've known you kind of for a while now. Quite the journey. <laughs> I have to ask a question before we move on. And, and it goes all the way back to when you were in, gosh. Iceland? No, no, before Iceland. So when you had these like AK, like clearly I'm not a military or weapons so, so person. Iraq. So in Iraq. You're in Iraq. And when you were talking about the biometrics, are you talking about like on the, the gun itself? There's biometrics. No. Uh, we we're doing collection. Essentially, what we did is uh, we vetted the Juni or the Iraqi Army soldiers by their battalion, by their brigade, their division, what have you. They came through after their their training camp was done, uh, and then they came to us for small arm training. Well, traditionally, you know, almost anybody in the Middle East has some kind of rifle. AK, Drakeoff, what have you, right? So in order for them to become a full Jundi or soldier, they had to go through the biometrics process so we could vet out the bad guys. And what they would do is they just hand over the AK uh, and they would go back to uh, a little, pretty much like a little DMV where I had 20 Iraqis at a time uh, with their tough books, doing voice recognition, uh, retinal scans, thumbprints, and you know, scanning their their uh, their Gencia or Social Security cards into the system. Um, that way, they know that this weapon was assigned to this person. Wow! So I have to ask then: Are you multilingual? Um, how were you able to communicate? Uh, so I had uh, I had a translator uh, before I went over to Iraq. Though uh, we did go through a month long. Uh, course where we were taught kindergarten Arabic. Um, so essentially, you know, this stuff that a parent would tell a kid, you know, Ogoff stop or, you know, <laughs> something like that to where when they line up or you're really trying to get your, your point across, uh, you had those, those generic grade level words that you were able to say. Uh, okay. And then obviously learning the, uh, the Arabic numeration uh, systems. Got it. Well, I, well, look, my nephews are uh, half Syrian and they can sort of speak Sir- uh, Arabic. And let me tell you, it's a tough language. It's a tough language. I yeah. mean, just hearing them like trying to say the words, I'm like, wow, that's impressive. And even then I can't tell the difference between their accent and obviously with an authentic. So kudos to you that you learned anything. If you're saying five-year-old, that's, that's way more fluent than, uh, <laughs> than, most. than most. That's for sure. Yeah. But so Paul, it was interesting 
going back to what you were mentioning about kind of what they require for skill sets, right? And certifications. And one thing earlier this week, I was talking to some guys, CIO and others of um, uh, Army National Guard um, within the part of the U.S. And they were mentioning, you know, their gripes and some of them still active with what the requirements are, but then not necessarily requirements. It's more kind of the, some of the lack of training available and the type of it. And, and when they look at what they're doing in their day jobs based on what they're learning and, and the translation there. I mean, your background is actually pretty impressive when you think about all everything you've done and having the IT side and then cyber side and the management that you've done with others and um, that work you shared. And there are others out there right now and who you work with and, and help coach and mentor veterans that have similar and they're struggling to get jobs. Um, where are some of the, what are some of those things that you think need to change? And then was that, was, because you also mentioned you were pretty lucky to get your offer, um, you know, without having to go through too much time in between, but that's not the case for everybody. So your passion applied to now whole cyber human initiative and the work that you're doing to help others. What, is there more to where that came from? Um, is it with people, other people you saw struggle or just in general, you said, you know, I saw something that was maybe could really be improved on and I want to go after it and help. My first, uh, as, as funny you mentioned, we go back to service members. Uh, my first gripe and complaint uh, was actually back in uh, 2010. Um, there was a, a paradigm shift for where we're getting rid of a, a Navy enlisted classification code. And in order to carry on to the new one, uh, you had to get Security Plus and two Microsoft uh, certifications. Well, again, I had CEH, you know, and that's far more in depth than a security plus. Um, and during the during the waterfront symposium, I mentioned it. I was like, "Hey, you know, why are you telling me that I got to go backwards and get a certification that I already got a, an advanced version of it?" Uh, and that's just how the contract is written within the DoD, uh, and that was my. My really first start at taking pop shots against the 8570 and 8140. Security Plus is not a band-aid for, for every IT job in the world. And it's that's just not. one small aspect of it. Huge influx of certification boot camps for not only Security Plus, but for CISSP to DOD. Uh, we can absolutely, you know, contribute that. Um, especially when you look at you know, before then, you had Security Plus, you got it, one and done, cert for life. Uh, DOD, you know, they wanted to make it to where you had to keep going and going and going. And so they created that continuing education platform. It started losing lackluster around 2011, 2012, uh, when you start seeing people get out. Uh, and now they're required to have Security Plus because, you know, as a government, we made it a staple. This has to be on your resume. And the same thing with CISSP, you know, you go back to 2009, 2010, it was like an emergency response certification where there's maybe a couple thousand in the world to have it. And they're doing policy management. They're leading echelon one companies, you know, fortune 100s, fortune 200s, 500s. And it just turned into this. Now, everybody that's a, a manager has to have it. 
uh, and you know, and it's got to the point now it's starting to, you're starting to see it on entry level applications. How does that even make sense? Thank you for pointing that out because I am removed from security. I used to be in the world of security back in the aughts, and I was shocked to see. And and Leah has to keep instructing me. She's like, "Girl, things have changed." To me, when so you I also was used to be a recruiter, so you saw that side too. And that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. CISSP certification was you had an experienced person that was literally the top of the echelon, really the expert that you they are, you know the architect's architect, if you will, if you got your CISSP. And now I'm not trying to diminish other people's success in getting the certification. Do not get me wrong. Not implying that at all. But I'm shocked at number of individuals who've gotten that cert with zero experience. And I'm wondering now, did the CISSP, you guys, become a test cert versus a, you know, experience validation certification Am I saying it the right way, guys? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and it goes back to where I mentioned certs need to go back to ground level. That was validation. That was your self-validation saying that you were the cream of the crop. I mean, list how many people had no veil certs back in 2000. I mean, that you see, you can walk down the street right now and probably say, you probably have a security plus. Yep, that's uh, true. And, yeah, and again, I mean, it, goes to, it goes to the certification boot camps. You know, you got four or five day camps that are $25, $3,500, and they're te- uh, teaching the test. By law, they're only, you know, supposed to be able to, only required to teach two to four hours in book. So if you got an eight hour class, what are they doing? Are they giving them a test prep? Are you, are they going to the pass for sure, the test king and, and crap like that and saying, okay, study this. And yeah. on Friday, when you take the test, I guarantee you'll pass. Not everyone can actually afford that these days. They don't have a job, <laughs> right? Just out of school. And that's why I became a big bad wolf. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, for one, cert vendors absolutely love targeting veterans. Oh. They see the GI Bill. The GI Bill, right? yeah. You know, just recent studies have shown some companies are, are charging nine months of a person's GI Bill. Nine months for three certifications that you can probably study your ass off uh, and get three certs within two months. That is criminal to me. Here's something I need to ask both of you guys, because I saw this on LinkedIn the other day and someone posted, um, if I want to get my security certifications, do I really need to understand networking? And I almost gagged um, when I heard that, but I would love to hear your thoughts on it. I would say it depends on the certification you want to get. You know, right now what you have, uh, 620 some odd certifications on the map now. Yep. Um, and growing. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you really look at the blueprint of a uh, certification exam, like security plus, it says you're recommended that you have network plus or at least be network plus trained. So I would say yes. And the reason I would say yes is because I'm expecting that my security analyst I'm bringing in can tell me where, that handshake is having issues at what, what router did that come through? What firewall did that come through? Uh, what's the IP addresses? Have you, have you looked at the DNS you know, record? Have you done a query? So for security plus to say that you don't have any kind of at least foundational OSI TCP IP model knowledge, then yeah, you're, you're turning into one of these zombies that are just getting a piece of paper. Or Thank I guess you. maybe even better phrase that yeah. Yes and no. Right. Is what how I feel, because do they need to have the background to get it? 
Not necessarily, but See, in order to go through with it and pass and be knowledgeable, yes. And then that's the other thing is if someone is out there trying to get into security, what are they doing on their own to learn? Because there's a lot of things that are free out there to learn. And there's a there's a lot of avenues and opportunities. And quite frankly, because of how competitive the industry is, if you're not, you know, doing yourself the favor of evolving and learning and getting that kind of education on the technology side, then, you know, it's going to be harder to help those people. Absolutely. So I have to ask this, and my background is start out in IT recruiter, then I moved in security, and then I moved into IT sales, basically. Sales being the key word. So I understand things conceptually. I guess my question is, is how comfortable would you be if you are transitioning to security or you're uh, you know, fresh out of college or new to the industry? I guess to me, it's I don't understand how you could not understand IT and networking and how all that's interconnected and interplayed as a basis foundation to get these certifications, at least from a, you know, at least, again, depends on what kind of security, again, you, you go down path of, but I feel like you should have that as a basis. Like, and that's why I was shocked that that was even asked. Am I missing something here? Because I feel like you should understand how everything lays out if you're going to do level of anything in security, because you touch every all aspect of the network. Well, again, it, it depends on the certification and it depends on that job route. Uh, for this case, you know, it's, we look at K to 12. Right, K to twelve is uh, is suffering because their STEM. If you look holistically across STEM, science is a part of it. And what is cybersecurity and information technology? It's a science. So, you know, how do we secure the next twenty years? Which was OWASP's, uh, you know, twenty year you know uh, seminar they just got done doing. Is you train them at that level? You know, when you when you start seeing. Hell, I, I mentioned this on um, with James Azar several months back. So each school district went out and spent seven, eight hundred dollars on laptops for kids. All right. So if you're talking about your middle schoolers and your high schoolers, why didn't you save the state tons of money and get them a monitor, a keyboard, a mouse, and a Raspberry Pi? For one. Raspberry Pis are easy to do. You can you can literally draft, draft up any kind of document you want to show how to set it up and with an operating system to be able to work on. So you're showing them a skill. They're they're learning something that they can bring into a workforce already because they're gonna have to learn how to troubleshoot because those things are finicky. Um, and they're learning about the peripherals, right? And then second, the uh, the, the colleges. The colleges right now. Uh, there's very few that are doing it, but they're failing across across the globe. Uh, I think India, uh, Ireland, the UK, uh, and various uh, very few other places are actually really defining what IT and cyber is. Uh, I personally don't have a degree. Once I retired, I signed up to to do a degree, and uh, you know, with my certifications I already have. They're telling me I have to do IT fundamentals. And part of the IT fundamentals, now I have to do micro applications and learn what Word does, learn what Outlook does and stuff. I was like, come on, are you serious? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you so, got the experience. Wait, can I know, ask you who's who's telling you that? It's 
Because it's usually not the hiring managers. It's like HR is what my my vibe is. Am I off on that? Because no, no, this was a school. This was uh, this was a community college that I went to. That yeah. Oh um, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because you look at it. If you look at a service member, they come out right off the bat with, oh man. uh, I mean, for me, hitting twenty years, I've got roughly one hundred and forty three college credits lower and upper level. But again, when we go back to colleges, they want that money. They want to be able to sustain their education. So they are going to require you to do classes that you've already done. And I was, I I figured for me, I was at the point where, you know, and I talked to Leah about this. Uh, For me, I, I don't look at if I was to get a degree now, if there's a return on investment, I've never had an associate's. So in order for me to get my bachelor's, I obviously have to get that. So how much money am I looking for a return on investment that I'm going to spend on my education when I can offset that with free education and getting more certifications? Although I, so great points on what you brought up with education. That being said, um, and this is where um, I think I'll say that I've been lucky to have now been seeing a more broader view of the world, right? Not just workforce, industry, others, but um, last few months have been brought into education. And while you're right on many accounts, I will say this, there are now schools from K through 12 university and above trying to realizing, hey, we have to change how we're teaching today right? We have to do more alignment with the workforce. We're, we're seeing that, right? And so there's a lot, and there's a lot of money being poured into a lot of things right now, including education. I will say some schools across the U.S. are actually putting that money in the right direction, and they're making huge changes, actually, you know, incremental, I'd say, um, and, and to the degree where it's aligning a lot more with those career pathways, But what are they doing? One, they've recognized it. So it takes that to happen, right? Number two, they're working with industry. And that's the biggest thing, right? We talk about the silos out there and public sector collaboration needing to happen more. So while you're right, Paul, and actually, I think that, you know, there's some opportunity for you to probably work with some of the schools to help influence what they can do. Um, I also want to give credit to the ones that are trying to do that now because we know it needs to happen. And we know that, and probably your son too, but kids these days, they're born on devices, right? And they know the technology now. So, and and have more of that hands-on. It's only hopefully going to help in the future. Um, but that's my, that's my I stance. I totally agree. And, and yeah. San Diego had a lot of those schools. Yeah. Uh, actually, one of the volunteer it. efforts that we that's did there. was um, there was a high school ROTC team that a lot of our cyber protection team went and volunteered with uh, to do cyber cups throughout the state. And those ones actually do, you know, excel. When we go back to the college, it's one of the things that I I find that a college could benefit from is if they knew the KSAs associated with each role. Uh, Usually when I get a mentor or mentee uh, that comes to me, everybody hears it, right? I'm pretty sure. See, here's, I'm pretty sure you hear it, Leah. I want to get into cybersecurity. Great. Where? I want to get into cybersecurity. So I've started started leaning people towards the CISA's nice website. Look at the 52 roles. Look at the 33 subspecialties. Uh, and then look at the tasks that, that are you know required to do the job. And you might already have some of those under your belt. 
recently, and I, I think a lot of schools can benefit off of it. You know, even at the high school level, when when you start talking about people that are taking PSATs and SATs, get them to do a personality test, get them to do a cybersecurity aptitude test. Uh, Cybernights.us just launched this year, uh, and I have actually added that to my candidate building uh, repertoire. And that's what they do. You you sign up for a free account. You do a personality test. You learn what your top five personalities are. You do the profiler where you do the arithmetic, the math, and all that within a timed uh, amount of time. Uh, and then after you do that, you unlock uh, cyber range lab assessments. So it gives you the ability to, uh, I want to say, 24 to 28 labs that each lab has an X amount of number of KSAs assigned to it. So, you know, you can look at it as a reward base, right? Man, if I get the highest score, that means I get more KSAs to add to my profile. Uh, and then through there, I know one of the things that uh, I have watched and mentioned is they're updating the amount of certs that are on there because there's still a lot of certs that, that are hidden to the fact they don't show what the, the KSAs that are assigned to them. Um, so when you create your profile, if you already have a certification, you click the little down arrow and you get credit for it. So if you look at the, the roughly nine, uh, 974 to 1,000 KSAs that are associated within IT and cyber, you, know, you can really play around and say which cert has what. So employers can also use this as a benefit because they can click on it and say, man, we, we really have this threat intel job open. And we've required them to have a net plus and sec plus, and there's no return on investment for that. We really need to focus on this other cert, you know, getting more bang for the buck. And that's how you get rid of the, the, the folks that might not have that network experience, right? Because again, when you look at the roles, you're, you're just going to have those anomalies where, you know, Rachel Arnold herself, she don't have a certification. Uh, she don't have a degree. Uh, and she's, she's ex- succeeding in uh, open source intelligence. Yeah. So, you know, it, again, you know, we could start it when we look at the K to 12 and start studying for the college that they want to get into. You can even open it up and say, hey, you want to get in a technical field? Come and do this part, uh, you know, a different type of PSAT and start building their, their brand then. Hey, Paul, um, you, you, you mentioned something that kind of struck and resonated with me. So my boyfriend is uh, or was a sales engineer, he got in a security way late nineties and all that night, mid nineties, actually. And he doesn't have a degree, but he's got obviously a wealth of experience and knowledge and all that good stuff. Do you think by virtue of us being obviously older that we have, we got lucky in the context of if we've got the work experience, the odds are higher. We can probably find a gig. Okay. Cause we have a network most likely. I know you cringed. What I'm trying to say is this, we have a network of folks that maybe we can reach out to Do you think the time has gone for kids today or folks transitioning where they don't have the experience or maybe they're not college graduates? Is it harder now than it was back then for us when we were in our youth? So I started my my retirement transition back in October. Of Uh, last year, right? Of last year. Uh, My first 29 applications were automatically rejected. I didn't know how to do an online application. I didn't know what the hell ATS was, right? How many, uh, how many older folks that, are, that have been in the same field for 10, 14, 20 years know what an ATS system is? Probably not because they're probably not hiring anybody. 
uh, unless they are one of the hiring managers. But I see it as a twofold. You know, with my own experience, I would say you need to pick your your battle. I wanted to be 100% hands on. I wanted to be able to to really you know get as technical as my company would let me. Um, so everything I was applying for was analyst one, analyst two roles, IR roles, but I was met with ageism. Uh, it's a sad, sad story. Uh, one company, I actually sent a nice email uh, and a letter to because uh, they, made, they said a comment inside my interview that I wouldn't be able to keep up with their younger candidates. So it's bad practice. It's illegal. Uh, so if that does happen to someone that's trying to pivot, then absolutely report them. But look at the, I would say, look at the life experiences you have. And, you know, one of the one of the things that I like to do is align people with what they've been doing. Um, there's one gentleman that has been in the, you know, the hospitality industry for the last 14 years, um, had over 50 rejections in two weeks or two months. And I was like, well, where are you trying to apply to? Uh, and, you know, he's mentioning all these nice flowery companies, your FireEye, your Splunk, you know, all the big names. Right. But he wasn't looking at companies that sold solutions to them. What better place to work than somewhere that you already know the industry? So who is your MSSP for a five-star hotel? Who is your security vendor that brings out your host-based intrusion system for your you know, PCI network? Those are the people you should start networking with uh, when you first get that inclination that you want to do it. Because again, how you go right into a security company where you can speak hospitality or food industry, or restaurant, or pharmaceuticals, and now you throw the fact that you know a little bit of flavor of IT and cyber, now you can start targeting the real hurting roles that we can't fill in cybersecurity, your mid to senior level roles. That's genius, Paul. I didn't even think about that, but it makes utter sense. Well, fire, I said, right now now we're back to Mandiant. (laughs) (laughs) I I just say that, I know. Well, anyway, so as we're wrapping up, though, Paul, I mean, you the work that whole Cyberhuman Initiative is doing and and, you know, all that you mentioned and the change that really needs to happen and that you're part of and with the organization, you know, how can folks get involved if they want to support right and volunteer and or how can they um, reach out to you if they also want the help? Uh, So if they want the help, um, obviously, you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I don't know how many proteges I pick up a day, but just keep them coming. Um, our website, wholecyberhumaninitiative.org. Um, you know, connect with us through the, you know, email me now button. Um, and then as far as volunteering, I'm always looking for volunteers that want to help, you know, either, uh, build out the website, um, marketing or anything like that. So when we start pressing forward, we're going to have it. Uh, and then for the community in general, you know, start getting involved. Um, you know, teach your teach your children, you know, digital citizenship early. Uh, tell them the implica- uh, implications of making that post on the internet uh, at, at a young age. And you know, and if you're a geek listening, stop throwing money at the PTA. So they use that PTA money to build out these STEM programs that don't have cyber volunteer and get cyber as a part of it and that's my soapbox (laughs) (laughs) but it's a very noble uh, soapbox and i'm right on board with it because it makes uh, it makes 
sense. I'd imagine the rest of the world has got to be doing something like this already at the elementary, middle school and high school level. I feel like United States is lagging behind in that context. No, look at at the United States in general. Everybody wants to be a pen tester. Why? Because try hack me is free. Hack the box is free. Yeah. Routine training is so expensive. Mm -hmm. That's a touch. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, it's a, it's a whole nother podcast because I lagging ish, but there, and this is where I think people, they would have to know to see it. My fear now, after again, having been part of some of the education side of things is they're moving fast. Not all, some, and I hope it, it, it translates to the rest of the ones that need to, right. And, you know, it's a different barrier for them because of the state requirements and everything, but my fear now is the ones that are moving super fast and they're actually going to surpass and change in the right direction where some industry organizations may not is that by the time the students are ready to graduate and they can get jobs, there's still going to be organizations that haven't changed their hiring process. That's the speed and scale that some in education are moving at now. So I'll, off my soapbox. That goes back to the ISA uh, working group that I was a part of on Tuesday. Um, is looking at how we can build one, the, the heaviest hitting need that we need across the globe is critical infrastructure. You know, well, let's, let's really start getting some apprenticeships made. Uh, let's get military members in there and, and make that an entry level position for a service member that has carnal knowledge on how stuff works. And again, they, they learned that industry, right? So if I'm talking about someone getting into power and electric, now they can start working with security companies that deal with power and electric and really chase that six-digit dream. That is awesome. So, I mean, we can keep talking all day, you guys. And I know I, was, I almost started a new topic on us. So I my, my bad. We can save that for another day. Paul, it has been such a pleasure getting to know you. Obviously, I didn't know you. So this was a really pleasant conversation for me because I do feel very strongly that we just need to get in earlier. And I, by the way, I'm going to quote you on this. Teach your children digital citizenship early. That's your quote I'm going to put down here in our show notes. So if that becomes your new tagline, sorry, and you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I know, Paul, thanks for coming on with us today. And um, we're going to be looking forward to the uh, barriers you keep breaking down. Great. Looking forward to it as well. Yeah. Well, excellent. So thanks again so much, Paul. And of course, you are always welcome back. I think, Leah, this is a great wrap up for another entry in the CISO Diaries. Bye, guys.